Hello, and welcome back to the PCF Bible Talk podcast. I'm Anna, and today I'm here with... Hello, this is Sky. And hi, I'm Kristen. And we're continuing the study that we began in part one of the role of the priesthood in ancient Israel and the kind of function that temple worship played and when it was at a high point and when it was at a low point. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, we welcome you to go back and to listen to that introduction as we sort of explain where we are and what we're doing in this study. So we have been looking at prophet, priest, and king. Today, we're looking at the priests and their roles and how well they fulfill them in the nation of Israel. And we're picking it up now with the reign of King Josiah in the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. So Josiah is going to be the grandson of Manasseh. Where we left off in part one, Manasseh introduced a lot of idolatry and bad things. He was a pretty bad king, although actually he repents at the end of his life. So that's worth reading. But his son, um, Amon, is terrible and continues all the things that he did in the first part of his reign. But Amon only rules for two years, and then his little son is put on the throne. And Josiah is one of the most positive kings in the history of Judah. So if anyone's going to rescue um, Judah out of the state that they're in right now, the, this is the king that's going to do it. Um, and so we're going to read about him and hear how he goes about reestablishing right worship to God in the nation of Judah. All right, so we're picking it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So, Sky, can you read that for us? Starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. All right. So we had learned from Manasseh that all these idols existed in this area. And he had sort of, Manasseh had set them up. Amon had continued their worship. So Josiah's first step when he's old enough, obviously he comes to be king when he's eight years old. So he doesn't do it right away. But as soon as he gets a little bit older, he starts tearing these places down and destroying all these idols. And so that's the first step to right worship, right? Is you take away the bad things. Um, and so he takes away the idols and completely destroys them as well. In in um, his repentance, his grandfather Manasseh had stopped worshiping the balls in the ashram, but he hadn't destroyed them. And so they had popped back up. But Josiah completely destroys them and scatters the dust. All right. So that's taking care of the negative worship. But then the question is, well, what is the state of the temple? What is the state of worship in Israel? And it actually turns out it's a little decrepit. So Kristen is going to read us from chapter 34, verses 8 through 10, about the state of the temple itself, the building itself. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when Josiah had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Saphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, 
and Joah the son of Joah has, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. Okay, so again, this could be a little dry and technical, but if we sort of dig beneath the words, (laughs) uh, metaphorically speaking, what do we see about the state of the temple here? It's been about 330 years since it was built. So what's going on? Yeah, well, I think it's important to note um, that Josiah kind of is sending people to repair the house of the Lord. Um, and just kind of how it's phrased, it's not like, oh, yeah, you need to paint the shutters. Um, <laughs> it seems like there's like there's massive repair that needs to be done, which I think just speaks to the fact that the people haven't kept the temple up and running. Mm-hmm. They haven't kept it kind of in um, its glory, in its beautiful state. They've kind of let it go and let it go to disrepair. Yeah, you kind of see that because it, it's not just they're making repairs. You see at the end where it says repairing and restoring the house. Mm-hmm. And so that that makes it sound like it ha- is not in, in its original glory. It has gone past a point where it's just probably in shambles and needs to be completely restored, like brought back to its original state. Mm-hmm. And we also see that they had gathered money for it, right? They gave him the money that had been brought to the house of God that they had collected from these other places. So again, they needed to do a fundraising campaign to get the funds to do the extensive repairs that needed to happen on this building. Because if a building's 330 years, we all know that you have to upkeep a building like that. It's not just going to stand without problem for that many centuries. Um, so the upkeep hadn't been done and a lot of work needed to happen. So we just see that by implication that the people hadn't really been going to the temple and doing all the proper worship of Yahweh. They would have noticed if, you know, the mold dropped on their head or something like they hadn't been doing everything that they should have been doing in that building if they let it get to that place of disrepair. So we can kind of infer something about the state of worship at the time. So Sky, can you keep reading the story for us starting in verse 14 of chapter 34? While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shapham, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king, and Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Acham, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Okay, sometimes I think things need a soundtrack. Like, this is a shocking paragraph. But again, you kind of have to sit with it for a second to see why it's shocking. So what does this incident tell us about the state of worship in Judah at this time? 
it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. It's clearly nothing good's going on here. You can see him just tearing his clothes when he sees this word. And he says, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. And he's, he is aware of their guilt. He's aware of their shortcoming and he's very fearful and honestly in anguish over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you definitely see that fear and that anguish he has. Um, I think it's just incredible to think like, okay, why is he feeling this fear and anguish now? It's because they've just found the book of the law, which means they didn't have it before. <laughs> which <laughs> means it was lost. <laughs> this is the king of God's people, and he doesn't have God's word. Um, so that's just incredible to think that like, yeah, they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have the law that God had told them um, to keep for all times, to follow his words exactly, um, to pass on to each other. Um, we actually talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago in Deuteronomy 17, um, where it speaks of the king. And it says, the king shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and she, he shall read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord by keeping the words of this law and the statutes and doing them. Um, and it continues. Um, but it's like, that was one of the, just one of the things the king was supposed to do is they were supposed to copy this law. They were supposed to have their own personal book of this law. Um, and Josiah makes it years and years into his reign without even knowing it existed. Mm-hmm. It's just, wow. Like, yeah, wow. Incredible to see that they have now found the law and that they didn't have it before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And obviously it's it's hard for us to put ourselves back in this time because books are so ubiquitous for us. The entire biblical text is available online at all times. But the preciousness of books at the time, like these are not things that you like lose behind a couch or something by accident. Like this is like they were rare and precious at the time. They were copied by hand. So they the fact that they had sort of lost it within the temple and not really been reading it for who knows how many decades. Yeah. It's just a sign of like how inattentive to God they had become. And even Josiah who, who wants to be attentive to God until as Sky was saying later in his reign, doesn't even have the resources. And then he reads the scripture. And as, as Kristen was saying, it was just so in distress because he realized they hadn't been keeping any of this. They're like, oh, you know, and he may have had like the Ten Commandments and some other basic tenets of the faith. Um, And scholars think that this was probably like the book of Deuteronomy, but he certainly didn't have the whole complete law that he was supposed to, as Sky read, be copying out for himself and learning. So we just see that the word of God, the Bible that they had at that time, which was the first five books of the Bible, they called it the law. We would probably call it the Bible. They lost the Bible, guys. It's not good. If you lose the Bible, (laughs) not just one copy of the Bible, (laughs) right? You forgot you had it. (laughs) That's when worship is in a bad, bad place. So Josiah wants to reform worship now. So he reads, we're not going to read this part, but he reads the book of the law out to all the people and asks them to come in line with what the book is asking them to do. And one of the specific things is that he realizes they should be having some feasts, like we heard mentioned in in the temple ceremony with Solomon. So if you remember the Feast of Passover, we discussed this when we read 
Exodus, when the people were led out of Egypt and the angel of death passed over the households of the Israelites. Um, They were supposed to remember that day forever. And Exodus 12 establishes this tradition. And in Exodus 12, 14, it says, this day, this Passover day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So let's read about Josiah celebrating the Passover. So Kristen, can you uh, kick off this narrative with 2 Chronicles 34? And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions, as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. Okay, and then there are a bunch of verses that describe in more detail the different sacrifices and offerings of the Passover. So then, Sky, can you pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 35? The singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David, and Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not need to depart from their service, for their brothers the Levites prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day, to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. No Passover like it has been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, and the priests and the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept." All right. So again, lots of details here to pull out. What what strikes you guys about this narrative about the Passover that they celebrated with Josiah? Well, I mean, I think the thing that's most striking to me was how all these things are being restored to their place, um, which I mean means that they were never in their place to begin with. Um, and I I like the this idea of them being restored because it kind of to me just really parallels how the t- the temple itself had to be restored because that was in disarray. And they thought that was the main thing that needed to be restored. Let's focus on this. That's clearly out of order, but it turns out they'd been forgetting all of these other feasts and important sacraments and the Passover and all these important things. It's like, that's what needs to be restored. Not just these, uh, the, just like the outward looking actual building, the cosmetics of it, but like, Look into your heart, look into how you're interacting with God, fulfilling um, his commandments, keeping these different um, keeping these different observations. And um, yeah, it's just <laughs> a lot of things had to be restored. 
Yeah, and all this restoration, Kristen, that you're talking about, um, just makes me think of like how it's like Josiah is leading this restoration. Um, but it's, you know, this wasn't only just Josiah's, it wasn't just only on the king's shoulders. Um, the king should have known about this. Um, the Levites, the priests should have known about this. Um, it says like things haven't been kept in this grander sense, the time of Samuel the prophet. Um, and that's a long time ago. So just thinking that it's like, okay, there's a lot of people who could have been responsible or who are responsible, kind of holding on to God's word and seeing that it is kept, seeing that the Passover was celebrated how it should be celebrated. Um, and we're just not seeing it done um, up until this point. It hasn't been done. It hasn't been kept um, with as much kind of just celebration. Um, so that's something. And in the 18th year, the reign of Josiah, um, it's like, okay, so 18 years into Josiah's reign, we finally kind of get this Passover. Um, yeah, because I think sometimes when we read the Levitical law or like read the first five books of the of Moses, we I, I don't know if it's right to say this, like an Instagram view of the people of Israel. Like we think that they do this for all the centuries that follow. Like when we're reading the Old Testament, they're like, oh, wow, well, they're sh- surely they're keeping all these laws. But that they weren't necessarily keeping all those laws. They weren't necessarily having all those feasts and those celebrations. Like, as Sky just said, said, Josiah, 18 years into his reign, he hadn't even celebrated this thing. Like, he didn't even know it was a thing. So, um, again, we shouldn't view, like, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people as this monolith who, like, perfectly or almost perfectly kept the law and even remembered the law at various points. Um, so, that, yeah, this just shows us that there was a lapse that needed to be restored and recovered, as Kristen was saying. And just to highlight one other sentence, he said, um, or it says that Josiah appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. Again, implying that they weren't in those offices. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the ark back in the temple. Again, I'm not exactly sure where it was. Um, I'm glad it was still around. Um, but again, he's reminding the Levites of their role. It's not just the king's role to keep worship pure. The Levites and the priests, this was part of their role. And they had also been slipping in their role and in their keeping of the memory of what the law is. Um, so that really comes out in this passage. They, they don't f- fully fulfill what they're called to do as priests. Okay, so we have just looked at a macro view of the priesthood and the worship of the Lord's temple for a couple centuries in Israel. Obviously, again, a zip-dash view of it. But there were some high points like Solomon or the reforms of Josiah, but there were also many low points. We read one of them, but even the indication of the need for reform shows us how many low points there were throughout the history of Israel. And unfortunately, if we kept reading in the book of Chronicles, we would see that even the reforms that Josiah implemented did not actually hold. And after he died, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, I should say, reverted back to idolatrous ways. And we see just a couple chapters later in the conclusion of the book of Chronicles, it says of the final king of Judah, quote, that he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel, And all the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem, 
the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And that's basically the conclusion of the book of Chronicles. There's just one more paragraph that describes Judah being brought off into captivity by Babylon. And so that's a really sad state of affairs where things ended. They ended that the priesthood, that the observance of worship under the old covenant, that the reading of the law, that the people of Israel were not able to maintain these things and maintain their fellowship with God. And in a sense, the priesthood was broken and they needed a better priest, a better way of moving forward with the worship of God. And so part of what we're going to talk about um, this week in Bible study is how Jesus is the fulfillment. He restores this broken priesthood and brings people into true worship and fellowship. But we also want to think about some application points from this lesson because We can also learn from the experience of Israel, right? We can learn that there's a lot of danger in forgetting what God has called us to do. And maybe our forgetting won't exactly look the same as theirs, but there's a way that we can cease to have regular worship of God, cease to remember reading the Bible, remember what was said in the Bible. Probably we're not going to lose it completely because we have the internet, but we can lose it functionally in our lives And we can just totally ignore it and not even realize that there are things that we are missing doing because we didn't even know we were supposed to do them. And these, the lack of these habits and these rhythms of worship can really cause us to drift away from God and ultimately end up in a place of disobedience as Israel found themselves to be. So this week, we're going to talk about how to keep from drifting in that way. How do we have these regular habits in our own life? And how do we learn from the sort of ultimately negative example of the people of Israel here. So we hope that this discussion has been helpful, and thank you for listening to part two of our discussion of the priesthood. Grace and peace from the Bible Talk team. Bye-bye. (laughs) 